Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another True Crime Tuesday. I'm Isabella. And I'm Asta. And this is Oddly Unexplained. Just some listener discretion, as always. This may, like, contain themes of murder, weapons, kidnapping, killing of minors, blood, breaking and entering. So, like, trespassing or, like, I don't know. Um, abuse and dismembering of body parts. Is that all? <laughs> um, yeah, this case, we're not going to go too deep into any of these things particularly, but we may mention them here or there. So, um, so today we are going to be covering the Keddy Cabin murders. Now, Ooh. this was a quadruple homicide that took place in the 70s or, or 80s. I don't know. I guess we'll find out. But I hope you guys enjoy this case. Yes. So today we are going to be discussing the Keddy Cad- the Keddy Cabin Killers. That that is a mouthful. I just have to say. But this was a quadrupled homicide that has never really been solved. But we are going to dive into that right now. Yay, I'm excited. Our case today starts on April 11th, 1981 in Keddy, California. Now, specifically number 28 of the Keddy Resort. Now here lived Susan Sharp and her five children. John, Sheila, Tina, Rick, and Greg. Now, Keddie was a tiny little town where everybody knew everybody, and people weren't afraid to keep their doors unlocked. Mistake. Definitely. (laughs) Now, this particular evening was a pretty crazy one as Sheila was sleeping over at her friend's house and the boy's friend, Justin Smart, was spending the night at their tiny little house. As well as that, John's friend, Donna, was also spending the night. So there's a lot of people here. People are going everywhere. It's just a crazy night. Now, Tina had been at her friend's house watching TV, but she returned home at around 9.30 p.m. when Sheila arrived to spend the night. Now, we are jumping to around 7 a.m. the next morning when Sheila is returning back to number 28, as the family had church that day. Now, the scene that Sheila returned home to was a scene that would forever change her life. Sheila walked into the site of two men's bodies who she immediately recognized as Don, as John and Dana, brutally injured and bound together, lying on the floor. She also saw what looked like another body covered in a yellow blanket laying next to the sofa. Now, this body was later identified as the body of Susan Sharp. Now, as well as all of that, the entire room was covered in blood, floor to ceiling, it was everywhere. Now, just as anybody would do, Sheila ran back to the Seabolt house where she had spent the night, and she returned shortly after with Jamie Seabolt, the the Seabolt's son who was around her age. Now, the two of them went into the room where the three little boys had been sleeping. They went in through the window and discovered that all the boys were still alive. That's weird because, like, 
I feel like if you're going to kill a whole family, you kill the whole family. Definitely. But one question still remained. Where was Tina? Now, the investigation kicked into full speed as this is like the biggest thing that has ever happened in this tiny little town. Now, they very quickly found the two weapons, a hammer and a gun, that were in the living room. Now, these were identified as the murder weapons, but after the coroner made their report, it was decided that there was another hammer which they later found in a lake. Now, this is really odd because first off um cases the murder weapons usually aren't left at the scene of the crime no because it is because they usually tell something about the story Mm. and that's why people care about them if it's from the neighbor's shed which one of them was what is that telling you was that shed broken into or was it the neighbor you know like it's those kinds of things that murder weapons can tell you. So this was extremely odd. And the fact that they weren't all in the same place was another thing that just raised suspicion. This indicates maybe at this point, I'm thinking maybe it could have been like multiple people. So one guy dropped his murder, one guy, female, uh, one person dropped their murder weapon in the house and then the other person while running away dropped it in the lake. How far away was like roughly... How far away was the lake to the house? I would say it was probably about 50 metres. Okay. But what's weird is that there were two in the house and one in the lake. Okay, that is weird. Maybe it was like multiple, multiple people. Yeah. Now, we're going to go back to the coroner's report. Now, Susan and John's causes of death were blunt force trauma and stab wounds. And Dana's cause of death was asphyxiation. So suffocating someone, cutting off their airways, which is kind of odd because, again, usually these crimes follow a pattern. It's not usually mass murders. They have... They have a pattern. The murder weapons are left in the same place. They're killed in the same way because it allows the um, murderer to have that sort of plan if this is a planned attempt, if it's not just an armed robbery, if this was a crime of passion that was thought out before the time. They usually have um, similarities between how each different death is completed. Now, along with that, Susan had been gagged and she had been stabbed in the chest along with the throat and spine. Okay, so she... I find this a bit weird because, like, what the weapons were hammers, right? Yeah. So that's a bit odd. But then also what's even odder to me was that um, she was naked from the waist down. Okay. Now, as well as all of that, she had a gun imprint on the side of her head, but there was no bullet wounds. So that's, it was of, yeah, that is it is a bit really odd. weird. So we're looking at the weapons being hammers, knives, and guns. Which is a lot of weapons. It is a lot of weapons for, it's like, a, yeah. one person, which indicates that it's probably more. And the gun imprint, it's, it's really... Weird. What I can tell from it, based on my knowledge of criminology, is that this was most likely a method of keeping her in line. It was possibly an action of maybe getting her to remove money from a safe. Holding that gun to her head was forcing her to do what they wanted her to do. Like, my biggest question is, wouldn't it have been easier to kill them all with the gun? 
Like, I know sometimes serial killers don't do it for the easiness of it. Yeah. But it seems if you had a gun, at least one of them would be killed by getting shot, because one of them might not have complied. Yeah. Now, John's throat had been slashed and Dana had multiple head injuries caused by the hammer. So there's our hammer coming in, but it's still, the injury seems so extensive for what initially was just thought of as an armed robbery. These things don't usually get so violent. Like you were saying, Asta, these things are usually just, they are killed to get them out of their way. So why was this so in so many injuries and as and it does really point towards the fact that there were signs of struggle and that is why we think that there are so many injuries was because these three were struggling maybe protecting the boys in the back room but it is odd that there are so many wounds it is because it's not just like a slash your throat leave you it, no. You must have slashed, and just the time that this must have taken. Like, that's the biggest thing here, because to get, um, to get the, so, during this time, they must have threatened, like, held a gun to her head, um, mm. which obviously wasn't just, like, a held a gun to her head for a second and then didn't, like, that would have no, been No, long enough to leave an imprint in her skull. That, and it must have been, like, hard, too. Maybe, like, yeah. like hit her with the gun. So, and then all of a sudden, like, they had stab wounds and, like, slit throats. So there was, there was multiple, it wasn't just a stab sort of kill thing. Like, it was a slit throat, stab, stab, stab sort of thing. It was a lot more than. And it's definitely looking towards a very violent crime. Now, the investigation took a really interesting turn when the police interviewed the neighbours. Now, the Seabolts, who um, Sheila had been staying with, said that they did not hear a thing the entire night. Now, the Seabolts lived about, I, as far as I remember, they lived about 25 metres away. So not far enough that they wouldn't have heard a gunshot go off, as well as screaming and things. But a couple who lived nearby said that they had heard muffled screaming at around 1am. Okay. Which is probably about the time of the crime, based on the um, schematics, schematics, sorry, no, based on the details that the police were able to uncover. So that is most likely the this family. That is very weird. And how close, so I think we're just getting like a general map here. Was the lake in between the two houses or like on one deliberate side? I think as because I I was not able to find many images mm. of the actual like housing area. So as far as I've been able to find from just reading and putting it into visuals in my mind is that these houses were almost like I want to say that they're probably surrounding the lake. Okay, so but I'm not sure. So no, the lake was not between the houses. I think it was a substantially sized lake. Okay. But the most interesting part of the investigation was when they put Justin under hypnosis. So Justin was the boy who came to stay the night who was about the same age as Susan's youngest two boys. Now, this method was used because they didn't really know what else to do. So under hypnosis, he talked about a dream which matched almost 
perfectly to the actual details of the crime. I mean, so he, while under hypnosis, he talked about this dream and he talked about two men in this room who were, who had guns and weapons. So it doesn't sound like a dream. It sounds like this murder. Okay. I find it really interesting that they resorted to hypnosis. It's an effective method, but I wouldn't say that they would have used it as Especially much back then. Especially on a minor. Yeah, on a minor. That's what that's what interests me. But this the second time round, he was hypnotized. He claimed to have actually witnessed a crime. So this time he didn't say it was a dream. He said that he had gotten up and he had seen this uh, he had seen the two men and they he had seen them with Susan and the boys now the reason that um doctors and psychiatrists all presume that this happened why he stated this as a dream the first time round was almost like a subconscious way of protecting himself from the trauma that would have came Mm. from seeing that Mm. so it was a subconscious way of protecting himself that was only brought out by hypnosis which I still I still think hypnosis is a weird like way like I'm not doubting hypnosis or anything I just think questioning and then going straight to hypnosis well no I'm pretty sure there was about a year gap in between because this case was just really hard to solve Now, he was also able to give a detailed enough description of the two men who were in the room that composite sketches were made, but they were made by an untrained artist with no training in composite sketches. So they, this person had had no qualifications to do police composite sketches. And so it's interesting, and the police never explained why they chose this person to do these composite sketches like why wouldn't you choose someone who actually had some level of training you know like there are there are plenty of composite sketch artists why would you choose someone who didn't have that training in this high profile murder case I find this like particularly really interesting how they're handling this crime because they've used hypnosis and an untrained artist. It seems like they are like what I reckon might have happened. I don't like some person who was just in the room at that time when he started describing just drew it. But I just it seems like the sort no, of thing. No, no, no. So basically, as far as I remember from the um, police files that I were able to find. They just took down a description and then they got, then they brought the composite sketch artist in. Like this person they had hired as a composite sketch artist. They hadn't just gotten one of the police officers to do it. They'd actually hired someone who had no qualifications. That is so weird. Now we are going to jump back to Tina. As you may remember, she disappeared on the night of the crime. Now, on April 22nd, 1984, a little over three years after the night of the crime, a bottle collector found a human skull at Camp 18, and shortly after the discovery, an anonymous call was made to the local county sheriff's office, claiming the remains to be Tina's. This is weird. This is really now, weird. they were DNA tested, and they were, and they found the rest of her bones pretty nearby to the initial skull. But this is just insane. 
because obviously she was, um, they put out alerts saying that she had been kidnapped because she had. But what is interesting is that then she was found dead. Why would you kidnap someone just to kill them? Now, even 40 years later, this case has still not been solved. Mm. But we are going to dive into some of the odd things about this case and possibly some of the people whom we think may have committed this crime. Now, the first thing we're going to talk about is Justin's stepfather, because one of the um, composite sketches looked remarkably similar, which is a little odd. And then that may also explain why Justin didn't just tell them who that why Justin didn't just initially tell the police when he was interrogated who that he saw the men because if he thought it was his stepfather he may have not wanted his stepfather to go to prison like that would make sense right it's just a cover-up to protect his stepfather maybe Mm. his stepfather even threatened him to ensure that Justin didn't but then under hypnosis he was unable to control the fact that he knew that Yes, and this seems like the trauma of seeing your stepdad kill someone, which made him think that it was, or maybe his stepfather told him it was a dream. Yeah, You only saw me because it was a dream. Definitely, and I think that is definitely a possibility for a young boy to be tricked or bribed into believing something that he knows isn't true. But the next thing we're going to talk about is the children's family so all of the sharp families all of their kids so all five of them so um mary had moved across the country to get away from her abusive husband suspects yes now it is talked about and i suggested this acid it makes perfect Mm. sense to us why would they not have just killed Tina at the main moment? Because based on the timeline that the police composed, Tina was in the living room with the other three of them, but she didn't get killed there and then. She was killed later somewhere else after she was taken by the people who killed her family. And so it's talked about. What if Tina was the main motive? What if this whole thing was just to take Tina and her family and Dana just stood up for her because you could imagine that they're trying to take your sister and your daughter and your friend you would protect Tina right Mm. so it makes sense that that could have been why the other three of them were murdered and the three little boys who didn't put up a fight were perfectly fine because this was all about Tina this wasn't an armed robbery this wasn't a passion crime this was just to get tina and so it's proposed who would want tina well her father i find it weird though one thing i find weird about this why would he take her like if he wanted custody why would he take her and then just kill her did something a suggestion for that is something might have gone wrong along the way of like having her yeah Maybe the police were suspecting him, or maybe she was just putting up a struggle. Maybe she was trying to run away, and he knew that if he didn't, you know, kill her, he would have gone to jail. 
So that would explain it. So this one, to me, does make a lot of sense. I mean, the points are there. The reasons are there. Like, this one does make sense. Now, we're going to just jump back to Justin's stepfather for... No. Sorry. We're going to jump to Dana for a second. Now, I do just want to say that with this case, a lot of the information was kind of hard to find as it was a long time ago and if you can't already tell this case wasn't documented so well just from police reports and how this case was handled i don't think many of you will think that's surprising so i am pretty sure that the information i'm about to share is about dana and his family but it may be about justin smart and i am unsure so i am sorry if i get this wrong now so stepfather we're going to go back to another stepfather now this may be justin's stepfather we're just going to say this as if it is again i am sorry if that is incorrect now susan became great friends with justin's stepfather right step <laughs> justin's mother oh my goodness sorry but susan when she moved in she became really good friends with justin's mom so it is talked about that it is possible that this had nothing to do with anybody but Susan. So this crime could have happened because Justin's stepfather, who had recently divorced with Justin's mother, because Susan reportedly had convinced her to leave. So it's talked about that this could have been a revenge against Susan by Justin's stepfather, which makes sense, I guess. I mean, I guess if the boys were in the living room and then maybe he just decided that he would take Tina with him, that's really the bit that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. Like, Tina doesn't really fit this one, but it does make sense that the other two boys would have, again, put up a fight for Susan, or maybe even this was for Tina. Like, they were just fighting for everybody, for their own safety, and they got killed in the crossfire but then Tina was taken for another reason. Maybe it was another part of the revenge, you know? He knew that Susan cared about all of her children. So even if maybe he had taken, maybe the other, maybe his accomplice had taken Tina before he killed Susan. So she knew that that had happened because that would have been devastating to her. So, I mean, that would make sense. But... We want to hear your guys' theories, but that is all that I have for today. Everybody, Asta, do you want to wrap us up? Yes, I will. So starting out, go follow our socials at Oddly Unexplained Podcast on Instagram and and TikTok and join the conversation on Facebook with our Oddly's chat. On Thrilling Thursday, we will be looking at the incident at Fort Benning and if you would like to check out our website please don't hesitate to look up www.oddlyunexplained.com give me one second pause but thank you guys so much for listening I really hope you enjoy bye bye if you have any information on the killing of the Sharp family please contact the proper authorities